Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT is here with us. And JT, it's really nice to uh, be talking to you after a win, a Big 12 win. Yeah, it's been so long. You know, I feel like the old lady from the Titanic and you know, <laughs> losing streak that finally that went back to last year, finally snapped in Big 12 play. So it's it was nasty and ugly, but I'll take it. Yeah, and we were almost talking about, you know, Kansas State's last Big 12 caliber win being against TCU, which is, of course, the team that the Cats play this Saturday. So we brought back uh, managing editor of Frogs of War, Melissa Trebosser. Melissa, how's it going? Well, considering the fact that you just talked about how great it is to come off a Big 12 win and that you also <laughs> referenced your last Big 12 win previously was against TCU. Oh, uh, I said, what, great, what, fellas. So Not just, uh, so great. just to clarify, I said Big 12 caliber win because there was a KU oh. win in there. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, but, but again, like, can you consider TCU a Big Twelve caliber win this season? Because <laughs> any high school team in the country is going to pick up 500 yards against them. So I, yeah, I don't really know what's happening down in Fort Worth right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know, I mean, TCU did beat West Virginia by 21 instead of one. So you got that going for you. No, we 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 lost right. for oh, by lost 12. Yeah, I, think I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like you were. Or tech, yeah. Did there. I say tech? Um, yeah, so West Virginia. Yeah. Sorry, I meant to yeah, say tech. I meant yeah. to say tech. My fault. Texas but also, tech. like, is beating tech anything? Like, beating tech feels like, and I know you guys had a rough time with them at the beginning, but like, beating tech <laughs> feels like beating Kansas on a good day. You know, like when Kansas, like what Kansas did to Oklahoma, that's what tech did to you guys for, you know, two and a half quarters or whatever. But yeah. I just listen. Everything is awful. College football is a stupid sport, and I don't even care when TCU loses. It doesn't bother me at all, as far as you know. So we're fine. Everything's <laughs> great. We're doing wonderful here over at the Frogs of War universe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the two games were very kind of opposite. K-State was not apparently awake for the morning kickoff. Fell behind by two touchdowns very quickly. TCU, on the other hand, returned the opening kickoff and then didn't do a whole lot after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you talked about in your post-game recap, you know, there's been a lot of struggles against West Virginia. How much of that can you reasonably write off as just kind of inexplicable struggles against West Virginia? Well, I mean, you know, Gary Patterson said after the game that there are just some teams that kind of have your number, and West Virginia has kind of been that team. But, like, at the same point, this is a TCU team that is certainly more talented than West Virginia. It's certainly more capable of putting together a complete game plan than this version of West Virginia was playing at home for homecoming at night and returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown and lost by two scores. Like that, mm-hmm. that I'm kind of, I, I will say like as, both a TCU fan and someone who covers the team, I have run out of excuses for this program. And I'm not going to say, oh, Neil Brown just has Gary's number. No, this is an underachieving team. This loss was worse than the 2019 loss to West Virginia. It feels a lot like the, uh, what was that? Was that 2016 loss to Kansas State and the rain and the ick when, um, oh, who was that quarterback? I blocked it, permanently blocked his name out of my head because I cannot think about it. <laughs> The guy that looked like he should have run a six five forty, but always ran for a hundred yard. Collin was it Collin? Collin Klein? No, it wasn't Collin Klein in twenty sixteen. It would have been Jake Waters was, was playing quarterback then, right? No, so uh, uh, Jesse Ertz. Jesse Ertz. Okay, Jesse Ertz. Might have yeah. been. I think it was Collin Klein though. So it might have been whatever year that was. Oh, okay. I, that would have been I like just, back twenty twelve. Twelve, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh God, I whatever it was, it was terrible. And it's been a hot yeah, minute. it's yeah. This is <clears throat> as when you consider all of the factors as disappointing a TCU loss as I can remember in recent history. It is a uh, TCU is down bad, as the kids say, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder. I mean, TCU gets shut out in the second half, and we spent a lot of time talking about how Kansas State has switched to a three-man front this year. And, of course, the team you talk about who does that is West Virginia. You know, is that an advantage for K-State maybe? Uh, you know, our, have trouble our, with that specifically? Or? I don't think it's that specifically. I think I was on our group thread with some of the folks that cover TCU earlier and our friend Stato or Parker Fleming. He shared <clears> some <throat> screenshots and some videos on Twitter. And really what it comes down to is that, like, TCU had five-on-three situations so many times with the offensive front. And they just made the wrong decision time and time again. This is a failure of execution. And so I don't think it matters if you're playing a three-man front, a four-man front, or if everybody on the defensive side of the ball were to just to sit down at the snap of the ball. We consistently do not know how to handle our assignments once the ball is snapped. And, And to me, that's really just a failure of coaching. This is a very talented offensive line. This is a good mix of veteran guys, guys who have been in the program, who have been around the system. Most of them were four-star recruits or higher. Steve Avila, the center, was on, you know, preseason Remington Award watch list. Obina EV was considered one of the best. I think he was ranked in the top 20 for impact transfers at left tackle. There is no reason for this line to be as bad as it is in pass protection, and they just continually don't know what to do at the point of attack. And it's putting Max Duggan in bad positions, making him look worse. It's, you know, keeping TCU's offense behind the chains. Um, you know, I think that Doug Meacham, Jerry Killer are afraid to call passing da- passing plays on early downs because they don't want to fall behind schedule. It's a hot mess right now. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily the style of defense that is was effective for West Virginia. I think it's just that TCU right now is just so confused on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball. And when you have a defensive coach who knows how to attack that and you have defensive talent, which – You know, West Virginia obviously has a strong defensive line. Kansas State is always going to be a very solid defensive front, it feels like. So, yeah, I'm really concerned about what this defensive front is going to do against the passing game. You know, we've been a pretty good run blocking team, or at least we have two really dynamic running backs that can make up for our inefficiencies there. But, yeah, I think that Kansas State absolutely has the advantage of the trenches, probably on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, JT, you know, obviously Kansas State defense, not as good up front without Khalid Duke, but – They've still done okay, but the, the problem has been more in the secondary. I think they've been a little better this Saturday, but that's seemingly the weakness of this team defensively. You know, I mean, how do you think they'll do against the TCU team that's going to throw the ball a lot? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I, I was just going to say, they, you know, we've got like Felix Anudike Uzama. He's, he's stepped up and he's really played a lot better the last few games. And those guys have, have kind of reformed, I think, finally on the defensive line. It took an awful long time. And, you know, like Melissa was saying about TCU, K-State's had some of the same problems, like guys in coverage. It doesn't – I don't know if they're mm-hmm. always sure their assignment or what's going on. There was a big play given up to Tech where the safe had just they had like shaded over to the middle of the field and there was nobody around the, the Tech receiver. I'm like, what are you, guys, what are you doing over there? It's, you know, you're – your guys, he's 15 yards away from you. So what are you doing? So, <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of questions about, you know, what's happening on that front, but to their credit, they stepped up in the second half and pitched yeah. a shutout against 
a decently aggressive tech team that you know it has been known to put up points but oh, really to, i understated it so oh, i was just I, gonna say i i kind of understated it saying that the, the defense did well against the past saturday i mean tech's quarterback was 10 to 17 140 yards interception a qb rating of 22.6 so well, and they definitely that's, seemed that's pretty good focused on trying to run the ball. And yeah. I think that's something Wells has done differently out in Lubbock than the last several guys is like, you know, we're going to try to run the ball. And they've actually got some good running backs. You might as well do it. But well, I mean, when you get a 14 0 lead that early, that helps too. Right. And, you know, I don't know if maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit or not, but they were still gashness with the running game, even <clears> late as K State was starting to mount the comeback. And, you know, aside from a couple big pass plays, they were doing pretty well in pass coverage. So that's not something terribly worried about. But uh, I did actually catch a little bit of the TCU-West Virginia game. And that I noticed some of the same things Melissa was talking about, that guys just didn't look like they knew they were on the same page. Even, you know, Duggan, on a, a couple of those interceptions, those two interceptions, they were just like, you know, where where's he throwing? Who's, who's he throwing to? Why, you know, why did he throw that ball there? couple, you know, there's just, it doesn't look like a, a TCU team I'd recognize, but I also feel like we've said that about K-State the last, you know, however many weeks too. It, it doesn't look like a K-State team that we're used to seeing. So it's been a weird year, I think, for the purple teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Melissa, I'm sorry, you, were you trying to jump in and say something earlier? Well, I mean, I was just going to say, if we were going to talk about bad secondaries, I would love to add to the uh, conversation uh, there, too. It's, uh, it, that's going to be really interesting because you, you look at a TCU offense that has had some success in the passing game. Like, they had a great game against Oklahoma defense. That hesitate to say defense for what the Sooners are rolling out there on that side of the ball. Uh, but then West Virginia, which whose secondary isn't exactly – elite, you know, really controlled the passing game, especially in the second half um, against Max Duggan. And Quentin Johnston somehow had the worst 100-yard receiving game I've ever seen a college <laughs> athlete have. Finished with 113 yards, but, you know, on, on both of those interceptions, he was targeted. The first one, he really needed to fight for that ball. Like the cornerback jumped the route, but I think PJ had a chance to knock that one away. The second one, I have absolutely no idea what Max was thinking, like just none whatsoever. But then there was another, I mean, there was a ball that, that Duggan put up that was in the air for 58 yards, and it went right through his hands. I mean, just inexplicably. But as far as the, the TCU's defensive second, so I, so I don't know. Like, I don't know which TCU offense is going to show up. Is it the good passing game? Because if so, I think they have a chance to absolutely make some, you know, do some damage against the Kansas State secondary. But if it's the bad version of TCU passing game, which we saw Saturday night, then I'm highly concerned about how easy it's going to be to shut down, not just the passing game, but the TCU offense as a whole. Yeah, yeah. And Quentin Johnson, you know, he's a guy that last year Kansas State was fortunate to avoid him because I think he was injured that game. But he is kind of that that tall 6'4 guy who seems like he could abuse Kansas State's shorter secondary a little bit. I think he's, he's second in the Big 12 in receiving right now. Um, so that's that's definitely a big concern. Hopefully Kansas State's trying to, to drop some good ways to stop him. But, I mean, where, where, where would you rank him, Melissa, among like the Big 12's top receivers? I mean, to me, he has the talent to be one of the best two or three guys in the conference. He's just not consistent. And that's really been the issue, I think, for TCU so far this season. I'm going to give, like I wrote about in my postgame, I'm going to give Zach Evans a pass for his performance last night because, A, West Virginia defense was very geared to him. And he's also, he's not 100%. You know, he's, he's playing through, an ankle, I think, an ankle injury. But Quentin Johnson, one week, you know, is on the You've Got Moss segment on, you know, NFL <laughs> Countdown and, 
you know, has, I think, the ninth best single game performance in TCU wide receiver history. And the next game, like I said, he, he had 113 yards, but it was like the worst 113 yards you've ever seen. And he left so many big plays on the table. And, and it felt like, um, you know, he was partially responsible for, you know, three of the biggest momentum changers in the game. And so when he's on, when he's playing his best, when he's completely locked in, he's as good as anybody. Like, he might not be as fast as men's, you know, up at Oklahoma, but but this is a kid who, who can do a lot of the things that the elite wide receivers in this conference can do. And there's no reason that he can't be in the conversation with Mims and Xavier Worthy and, you know, Eric, as oh gosh, I'm going to totally butcher his name, Ekukama, I think, at Texas Tech. Like, there's no reason mm-hmm. he should not be a first-team All-Big 12 player when you see him at his best. I just don't know how to get him to consistently show that for the Horn Frogs. And when he's not great, you know, unfortunately, like there just isn't another guy who can take pressure off of him consistently when he's not performing to his best. And love Tay Barber had a huge touchdown Saturday night. You know, Darius Davis is a great speed guy. Savion Williams is a carbon copy of Quentin Johnson on the opposite side, but just got a couple of bricks for hands. And so um, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on, on QJ to be great every week. And, you know, he still he kind of still looks like a freshman out there most games, and and I think that's been detrimental to TCU's offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, JT, I think K-State fans know a little bit about wide receivers who have get the drops occasionally and and can't stay consistent. <laughs> yeah, well, I, as she was talking, I was just like, "Are you are you sure you're talking about Quentin Johnson? Or are we talking about uh, Malik Knowles here? Like, I mean, <laughs> like I, I'm not sure. We, you know, it's pretty much the same description. You know." Yeah. So it's and so most I mean you talk about concerns with the coaches and the the offensive line play. You know, what about play calling? I know you and may, uh, many other TCU fans didn't like the fourth down call to go for the field goal instead of touchdown two yards away late in the first half, but you know, has that been an, an ongoing concern for TCU? Yeah, I mean, always that's a complaint with Courtney Messingham and K State. But... Oh, it's it's certainly, yeah, it's certainly up on our, our list of high-level complaints. You know, it's, it's been really interesting because everybody wanted Kenny come be gone. And I think that TCU made the right decision in allowing him to move on to Texas Tech. And by allowing him to move on, I mean, basically said, hey, buddy, if you got this opportunity, you might as well go ahead and explore it. He was not going to come back this year, I don't think. And it was I think it was best for everybody that he found a, a better landing spot. But, you know, this whole Jerry Kill, Doug Meacham, Tim Beck, whatever conglomerate, you know, I, I think Gary is still controlling, or at least there's enough of Gary Patterson and Jerry Kill to limit this offense. You know, I, I think that a lot of people want to say that Max Duggan isn't the answer. And I mean, in complete total honesty, I'm starting to wonder if maybe he is, you know, we're halfway through his third year to start a quarterback for TCU. And there's just too many things that he does that you're like, this is not, can Max go out and win you a game? Yes. Is he going to do things to lose you a game more than win you a game? Possibly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's also like he's been put in a system that doesn't play to his strengths. TCU doesn't use the middle of the field because it's higher risk. Um, and that's where he happens to be super successful. We only have Quentin Johnson running, you know, like they, they put him on a route tree that makes very little sense for his skill set. And when we do put him in position to be successful, he has a terrible case of the drop seeds. It feels like every pass play that we call is either – like four yards in the flat or a 50 yard bomb. And there's not any nuance to what we're trying to do in moving the ball. Um, And then, like you said, like at the end of the the first half, 
you put together a really great drive, probably your smoothest drive of the entire game. Gary Patterson actually uses his timeout and like puts his team in a position to score on the offensive side of the ball. Weird sequence at the end of that. It looked like Patterson was trying to call a timeout and then West Virginia called the timeout. Patterson said, because they had their offense on the field before West Virginia called that timeout. And he said they didn't like what West Virginia lined up and against it. And that's why they went to the field goal. Here's my issue. You go into a critical situation. You have a chance to take the lead into the locker room and you know, West Virginia, which has had very few problems moving the ball against you, gets the ball first out of break and going into a timeout, you don't have a second play. Mm-hmm. It's fourth and two from the two. You have Zach Evans, you have Quentin Johnston, you have Max Duggan, you have Kendra Miller, and you don't have two plays that you can call in that scenario to get you six points. It's such a dumbfounding philosophy. And that's where I think a lot of this, this is Gary Patterson on the hot seat stuff that's going around social media right now is coming from. It's just like, that is a decision that tells me you're not playing to win if there's any risk in doing so. And the stadium booed. I mean, I was on the field for that. The stadium was booing. I don't blame them. I think the fans have every right to be frustrated with that decision. His response to that decision to me was even worse than the decision itself. You are, that's a two point conversion. Like you practice these things every day, right? Like these are things that teams have in their back pocket. We always hear that, that you have, you're like four best two point conversion plays that you save. Yeah. Like you got to be ready in case you go to nine overtimes, right? Yeah, exactly. So that you can <laughs> score 20 total points, go big ten football. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so it, it's just, it, it feels a lot like we were playing to get bowl eligible and then we were playing not to lose. And this team mm-hmm. is not good enough to play not to lose. Yeah. And that's one area where I actually would like to give Sam Kleiman credit is they have been very aggressive, it seems to me, in, in fourth downs. And I appreciate that. It's been kind of a difference from the, the Snyder era at times. So well, and he, here's the other thing that, like, look, we're not, I don't think I would, I'm ruffling any feathers when I say that this version of Kansas State right now is not an elite team, right? Like, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you would have to have a lot of things go your way to win games against quote-unquote, like, better opponents in the Big 12. You would need a lot of things to break your way in order to make the Big 12 championship, right? So when you have a team that has some players, that has some talent, that can do some things well, and that, that can execute, then you do those types of things. Because you don't you don't start out the beginning of the season and go, man, we just want to win six games. And, and so if you want to get some of those games against those games that you're not supposed to win, quote unquote, right, you have to take some chances. You have to play some trick plays. You have to go for it on fourth down in some of those 50-50 situations. You have to show your team that I believe that you guys can get this done. So I'm going to put you in a position to be successful instead of putting you in a position not to fail. And that dichotomy, um, even just emotionally for a program is, is a huge difference maker. And so TCU is not a good football team. We've proven that through the first six games of the season or seven games of the season and so if you're Gary Patterson you're playing West Virginia at home on homecoming and you're losing then you say we got to take a chance here and if we convert and mind you too they converted on a fourth and five to score a touchdown earlier in the game they've done this once Mm -hmm. if we convert here it changes everything about the second half of this game instead they take the three points they go into the locker room and they come out in the second half and get shut out Like, tell me those two things are not related. Yeah. 
Well, I want to talk some more about the, the TCU defense. First, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we're back. So, Melissa, I mean, we've heard some some complaints. Can I ask you, you know, what does this defense do well for TCU? That is a great question. And I really <laughs> wish that I had an answer for it. I, I will say this. Travis Hodges Tomlinson is awesome. That kid is five seven. Like he cannot be taller than five seven. I refuse to believe it. I stood next to him. I'm considerably <laughs> taller than him. But like I'm also like bigger than him in every way. This is a tiny ass dude, and he's the best tackler on this football team by a mile and a half. Um, he doesn't give up on plays. He doesn't give up on series. Like he he's an absolute baller. He is elite and awesome and fun to watch. And everyone else is kind of terrible um <laughs> O'Shawn Mathis when he isn't being triple teamed and so when he's got some help on the other side from the defensive end position is menacing and terrifying the problem is he's just been so inconsistent he's another guy that looked awesome at Oklahoma and it was a complete and total disaster against West Virginia but then also like we've got them pinned inside their own 10 yard line and it's Colt Ellison and Dylan Horton at defensive end instead of O'Shawn Mathis and Kari Coleman. I, I don't know what's happening. Linebacking play has been bad. I, you know, I think D. Winters is a good player. He's a smart player, but the revolving door next to him has been such a liability that I think it's made his game worse. He's piling up the tackles, but only because our defensive line could not stop you from picking up yards past the line of scrimmage. It's just a sieve. And it's not even like teams are having to do creative things. If you bounce the ball to the outside, you're going to pick up big yardage. If you try to go up the middle, you're going to pick up big yardage. I mean, they're just, there is not a strength at any of the three levels of this defense. And, and I mean, I'm not ever going to feel like I'm exaggerating when I say that. Like this <laughs> defensive line is terrible. It is porous. It shouldn't be. It should be great. It is, it is bad. Uh, the linebacking core has very much underachieved. And outside of Travis Hodges Tomlinson, the secondary has been a C. CJ Caesar, great person, great kid, works hard, I'm sure, may well be the worst defensive starter on a, of the Gary Patterson era. And this poor kid has been thrown out there now for two seasons, and he, he just he, he gets torched every game. And it, it's almost like you feel bad. Like, get him off the field. This is not right to him. And he, he's become such a whipping boy for us, and I, I feel terrible about it. But it's just so often when a big play happens, you look up and you go, that's nine, isn't it? And it's always nine. And I just I hate that. The free safety, strong safety, the weak safeties. Uh, TJ Carter has been okay. And he's a pretty sure tackler, but he gets burned in coverage all the time. There's no communication back there. Like, I again, like, I, it's so weird for me to look at a TC defense and be like, yeah, I can't give you a strength. But this is a team that gave up over 500 yards to West Virginia. Like, that might be the second or third worst <laughs> offense in the league. And they gave up 500 yards on their home field on a night game at homecoming to West Virginia and Jared Daigie. Like, somebody help me. I can't explain it. This is not Gary Patterson in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, that's – and, and JT, I mean, Melissa talked about, you know, Kansas State maybe having a chance to, to have some wide receivers open in the passing game. And, you know, a month ago – I would have said, well, I don't know if cats will take advantage, but I mean, Skyler, this three game stretch, it's, I think you could make a case that it's been one of his best three game stretches of his career, throwing the ball. And almost makes you wonder if you think, you know, with his running being limited, has that turned him into a better passer? Yeah, I, I definitely think it has. Like he's had to focus on being better at throwing the football. And it's, 
it's worked out for him. Like we always talked about, like or we heard about in practice, and you know, we made all these throws, and then when it actually came to game time, you know, he'd make a read, maybe two, and then he was off like every time. And which, you know, he'd get five to ten yards when he took off. It's fine, but you know, then he'd he'd be taking hits and and you end up, you know, getting beat up halfway through the season, being forced to to stand in the pocket. You know, he has to go through the progression and he's finding guys. Now, they aren't always catching the ball uh, when he f- does find them, but he is finding guys that are open or, or making plays. And it helps that the O-line has, has really turned it on here you know, in the last few games. They look shaky at the start of the season, but they've really like come together. Cooper Beebe's looking like, you know, a first team all Big 12 tackle out there. And so, he, yeah, I think the offense overall has, has looked better now that Skyler is more of a pure passing quarterback. And, you know, we'll see. You know, I get nervous. Melissa's we'll talking about, like, how terrible the TCU defense is. And that just, you know, it's like, well, this is going to be the game that they're going to, you know, snap back to reality. And K-State's going to struggle to, you know, to get 100 rushing yards. And, <laughs> you know, because it's we kind of thought that about Tech, too. Like, man, their, their defense is pretty porous. And, you know, look what Texas did to them. And look what, you know, so-and-so did to them. And here, you know, we struggled. To get the ball moving at times, you know, and, and some of that again was was mistakes and mm-hmm. and stupid penalties and stupid stuff and you know what? It's just it's the sloppiest. You know, I don't. I I you know, it's hard to describe how bad this team has looked. <laughs> you know, we complained there at the end of the Snyder era, but they still ne- they still played fundamentally sound. They were just yeah. so unathletic that they couldn't make plays and now it's just you know that they have the athletes but they're playing unfocused they're playing undisciplined at times especially you know at the beginning of games uh, you know two straight games where they gave up you know a touchdown in two plays or less to open the game and you know it, yeah it's, it's a lot it's of maddening. mistakes for sure but yeah, I mean, then, you know, one area where I think you really got to give a lot of credit to Skyler is, you know, we always complain about Malik and nobody else stepping up to be that number one guy. And that, that still hasn't happened yet. But I mean, you look at Saturday's game, Deuce had seven catches for 68 yards, but then nobody else even had 50 yards. And Skyler still just missed getting to 300 passing yards because he spread the ball around so much. So many different guys. So yeah, that's great and- to see. Phil Brooks had a couple really good catches and, and even uh, Sebastian Taylor finally reappeared and, and had a, had a key <laughs> catch at one point. I'm still seeing like, it continues to be this thing like Messingham and the guys that talk about how, how much the tight ends used in the offense, like outside of a couple throws to Daniel matter baby, like I'm not seeing it. Like, you know, why, why are the, we, yeah, we've got true. some good receiving tight ends. Why are they not being catch? You know, why are they not, getting thrown the ball matter baby has has seven catches and that's good for like fifth yeah uh, after landry weber who's you know credit to him <laughs> he's he makes some he's made some tough catches and you know and whatnot but you know if the hype on that guy was is, was real you know why doesn't he have 30 targets or something you know, already this season why why are we still forcing the ball at poor landry weber and not at you know, a former four plus star, you know, tight end guy that played at USC and played at Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, again, I just want to say like the West Virginia guys were like, we can't score 20. 
Our office is <laughs> impotent. It's so bad. And I told them, listen, there is a cure for your hate, your troubled <laughs> offense, and it is playing TCU. And I know that sounds so counterintuitive to everything you've known for the last 20 years, but I promise you. And sure enough, Letty Brown has 100 yards. Jared Daigie plays one of his most complete games of the season, and they put up a very, very casual 27 points like it was nothing. So I just want to say – or 29 points. I just want to say, like, all these things that you guys are saying are all very valid. I feel your pain. I promise you, you're going to feel a lot better about all of them by the time Saturday night rolls around. Well, you know, there's a real chance that Matt Stegan looks like a Heisman candidate after playing K-State. So, <laughs> that's true. Uh, it, you know, it goes both ways. Listen, yeah. If any of these – listen, I'm telling you right now that if, I know that Gary's plan is going to be to try to shut down Deuce because he always likes to take the one dude who he knows is mm-hmm. really, really good and make that dude look bad. I don't know if we have the guys to do it this year, but that's going to be his goal. Skylar Thompson is going to throw for 350 yards. He's going <laughs> to score 30 points. It's going to be sad. I'm going to feel really, really badly about things. And if that doesn't happen, like, I will call and eat crow. But you won't need me to because you'll be happy <laughs> because you're going to get the win. So, like, that's it. Things are, like, again, like, down bad. I don't know how else to say it. I, I, it's so impossible for me to talk to fans of other teams, the people that cover other teams be like, oh, no, you'll have your best offensive game of the season against a TCU defense. Like, it just – it doesn't feel real, but it is yeah. so very real. Like, we are one of the worst defenses statistically in the country. I think oh. UMass was ranked above us in run defense lot going into last week. Like, that – like, what is happening? But you are still in Kansas, right? I don't know. I mean, honestly, like Kansas might have a better defense than, I, than PC does right now. It's it's a possibility. We'll find out. Like yeah. we're gonna have yeah. to play them, and it's that's terrifying. who K-State plays back to back next two weeks. So yeah, we'll oh, see. God help us all. But so is that? I mean, is it mostly the like executing and maybe some coaching, or is it a recruiting issue? Are there deeper issues here? I mean, that's that's a great question because TCU has recruited at a higher level the past four years than they have in their entire history. Um, when you look at, you know, small class in 2020, 2021 or 2020, whatever we consider those now, it'll be a small class again this year. But when you just look at the sheer talent that they brought in, especially in the trenches and at the wide receiver positions, like talent shouldn't be an issue unless you know, and I know this would never, ever happen, but unless 247 is goosing the numbers, right? Like, they, mm. these guys are coming in as high three and four stars. They're guys who were sought by major programs. I mean, we are still getting recruits to flip from Texas and Texas A&M, and we had kids that chose us over Alabama and Mississippi. So I don't think it's that they're bringing in guys that can't play. And so to me, it feels very much like there's a disconnect between what the coaches are telling the players and how the players are putting that out onto the field. And and I don't want to say it's just a coaching issue, but it feels a lot like a coaching issue. Patterson is so protective of his defensive playbook and he, to his demise, this really the last three years has not put the most talented players on the field because he doesn't think that they know the playbook. And so when you look at the Marcel Brooks saga, you know, it's a kid that came over from LSU, played on the national championship team, was a contributor, not a large one, but was a contributor as a true freshman, comes to TCU, can't get on the field on defense, 
switches to wide receiver and now has like two targets this season. This is a kid that was a five-star recruit. And you're telling me you can't find a way to get him to be effective on defense with how bad this defense is? Shadrach Banks, another one. The linebacking position has been a disaster for TCU uh, this season. And sure, Shad probably doesn't know the playbook as well. He's a true freshman. He came from he played both ways in high school. He went to A&M as a wide receiver, came back to TCU to play defense, hasn't seen the field yet. And it's just like, you have these talented guys. Maybe it's time to take your, you know, white knuckle grip off of your playbook and just say, hey, you're really good and really athletic and you're a little bit mean. Go get the quarterback. Like, why can that not be some of your defensive play calls? Oh, you see the guy with the ball? Go stop him. Like, it does not need to be Gary's overcomplicated defense. And everybody's caught up to the 425 anyways at this point. Like, Texas is running it, for God's sake. It might be time to simplify the playbook and find a way to get your most talented players on the field because they we keep doing the same dang thing every single week and it is clearly not working something has to change you're not going to change your roster midstream so it's time to make the defense something that's more accessible to the most athletic guys that you have on your team but to so, be fair uh, it's not working very well for texas either so yeah, yeah but i don't want to be in the same but they beat us i mean yeah. geez yeah. finally finally <laughs> yeah. Uh. I I'm just I, I'm curious. Are are we sure that Gary Patterson isn't turning into Bill Snyder? Because a lot of what you described <laughs> sounds a lot like Bill Snyder, especially towards the end. You know, he doesn't didn't want to play talented guys, and so they'd walk. And <laughs> I, I feel know, I, this. I really do. I've seen this. Ha- I've seen this play out. And yeah. I know this is an audio medium, but if you could have seen the way that my head just dropped to my hands. Um, he said that um, because because this is this is what none of us wanted, and, and none of us thought that it would come to this. I, I've been like, I have been around TCU since the year before Gary Patterson arrived. Like I was a freshman in '97. I'm so old, and, and so I have seen the other side. I know how bad things were, and there's not an ounce of me as a human being that does not know. 100% in my soul that Gary Patterson not just built TCU football, but in a way really built TCU as a university. The entire campus has changed because of his impact on our athletics program. Our entire athletics program has changed because of his impact through football. When you look at women's soccer, TCU baseball, the facilities, the additional programs like beach volleyball, All of these things happen because of the influx of money that TCU football brought to Fort Worth. When you look at the demographics of our incoming classes, the ability to draw more from out of state. I mean, the number, when I was a freshman at TCU, I was one of a handful of people from California. Now it's literally 500 freshmen a year are from the West Coast, which is absolutely insane. That all happened because of the Rose Bowl. You go from getting 9, 10, 11,000 applications a year to 25,000. That means that you can build a more well-rounded student body, that you can offer more scholarship opportunities, that you can find ways to get kids in underserved areas to your university and give them life-changing opportunities. So much of that is because of TCU football. We have a med school. So much of that is because of TCU football. And so I very much won't say, and, and you, I mean, you guys can feel this too, right? With, with uh, Bill yeah, Snyder, that you can't say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. State 30 years it, ago. It, it's, yeah. And, and so everything is completely changed because of what that man did. But like, how do you as a fan and somebody who covers the team and, and I'm, you know, a, a lowercase r reporter or whatever, like justify <laughs> all that has been done 
with what's happening right now. And because of Gary Patterson's legacy, do I have to be okay with us mm-hmm. going out with five and seven seasons? Like, do I yeah. need to accept that because of all, and, and there's a large portion of our fan base who says he can do whatever he wants. If we go winless for the next 10 years, but he wants to stay on, right. that's great. But then there's a younger segment who's only known winning. And he's like, what the <laughs> hell? We've yeah. had four losing seasons in a row. We're not going to make a bowl game for the second time in the last three seasons and not play in one for three consecutive seasons. This is not okay. We don't care what happened in the 90s, the 2000s, and before. We care what happens now. And so the ideal situation would be, you know, he takes more of a CEO role. He overhauls his coaching staff. He brings in some fresh voices. That's never going to happen. That dude just keeps bringing in his friends because he (laughs) wants to enjoy his last years. And it's like (laughs) – I can't yeah. really tell him he can't do that. And our athletic director certainly can't tell him he can't do that. And so are we just going to sit here and quietly suffer until he's decided it's enough? Or is he going to do something like he did going into 2014 and do massive staff overhauls, realizing that he doesn't want to go down like this? And I, at this point, I just with recruiting and NIL and transfer portal, he's tired. He doesn't want to do yeah. it anymore. He said as much, but he's yeah. also probably not going to walk away before his contract is up in 2024. Yeah. Yeah, you you keep saying these things, and I keep hearing Bill Snyder in my head. Like, yeah. stop, we experienced this. Yeah. We've been through it. So uh, but I promise, it's it's, so it's ugly. Right. So, is there ever a point though that you know TCU athletic director Jeremiah Donati or whoever goes to Gary and says, "Hey, we appreciate everything you've done. We we love you. You know, we would never fire you, but it might be in everybody's best interest for you to step aside. We might even write you a check for no reason except to be actually for this." I mean, if Chris Del Conte was still the athletic director at TCU, that would have happened after last year. He would have said, (laughs) you've got two more years and you're retiring early and you're going to get a nice office overlooking the practice field. You're going to be our ambassador of TCU athletics and we're going to pay you three million a year just to hang out. And Gary would have said, (laughs) "Okay," but Jeremiah Donati, nice guy. There's a reason he was the chosen successor. He is never going to be able (laughs) to stand in an office with Gary Patterson and say, you got to go. Gary will have him, like, he'll be in a ditch somewhere. I mean, it's just not, it's just not, there's nobody on that campus that can say jack squat to Gary Patterson. And, like, again, he's kind of earned that right, but we've got Mm -hmm. a chancellor who's nearing retirement. We've got an athletic director who, you know, is is in over his head when it comes to dealing with a 20-plus-year tenured coach. And, And we've got a football coach who, doesn't want to walk away, but isn't getting results on the field. It's you, like you guys know, well, this is, this is a bad situation for TCU. And, and the worst part of all of it is, is what's creeping in now is apathy. I mean, we're irrelevant nationally. Jeff Foxworthy was making jokes about our defense on college game day. That doesn't feel great. And nobody cares. Like nobody cares. I walked around, we got to the game two hours early yesterday for homecoming and it was dead. And the student section was good by the time that, you know, the, the first quarter was over. But apathy is what kills college athletic programs quicker than anything. And apathy heading into a massive realignment when you still, when the Pac-12 is coming out again and saying they may expand and, and TCU is a prime candidate, like this could all really, really end poorly for TCU if we don't get something figured out. Mm-hmm. And so I know in your in your post-game recap, you wrote that, that you don't see – a likely path to a bowl game at this point. I, I tend to agree with you, but you know, you look at it, TCU basically needs two wins 
uh, against Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State on the road, and then Baylor at home. So uh, what, what do you think is the most likely path? Uh, I mean, I don't see us winning this weekend in Manhattan. We've not consistently played well um, in that environment. It's, it's a tough place to play. And just coming off of the way that West Virginia ended, it's hard for us to see us bounce back. We'll get up for Baylor. We always do. The worst, like talent-wise, the worst TC football team I had seen in 15 years went to Waco and won on senior day in 2018 um, with our fourth string quarterback. And we took a really good top 10 Baylor team <laughs> triple overtime at home, you know, in 2019. And so stranger things have happened, but I, I like, and it's like, it makes me want to vomit to say this, but I've been so enjoying watching Baylor play football. I'm getting a little emotional <laughs> how to say that. Um, I like, I think Dave Aranda has done a hell of a job. That defense is filthy. Um, the offense has a game plan that puts their guys in position to succeed. Jerry Bohannon doesn't scare me, but he'll beat you. It was, you know, it's a death by a thousand paper cuts, like when he plays quarterback, but it worked. They're just better coached and better prepared. And so I, that to me is going to be a toss up game. You know, I think Oklahoma State is way, way overvalued right now. They are not that good, but they keep finding ways to win games. And so I don't see us going into Stillwater and winning. And we're sure as hell not beating Iowa State and Ames on Black Friday if they're playing for a chance to secure a, a place in the conference championship game, which is what I anticipate they'll be doing. So uh, yeah. it, it, really, it really feels like we, we will probably win one of K-State or Baylor just because this is what TCU does. They'll give us just a little glimmer of hope, and then we will fall on our asses for, you know, two of the last three games of the year. And hope to God we beat Kansas at home because that would really – honestly, at this point, let's just lose to Kansas. Like, let's just, let's just, you know, rip the Band-Aid off and just let Kansas beat us. And, and that don't, maybe don't say that. Accelerate that. <laughs> I'm in a bad place, guys. I'm in a real bad place. It's very dark. <sighs> well, yeah, I, I don't want to ask you too much more about the, this TCU team then. <laughs> um, I, I did want to ask you, though, you know, what are your thoughts and, and thoughts from TCU about realignment and specifically about adding Houston as another Texas school into the mix? I mean, I'm glad it's Houston and not SMU, yeah. you know, like that. And, and I and, and Houston is, is put together pretty quietly, putting together a really nice season this year after the way that they kind of humiliatingly lost to Texas Tech on the opener. Right. But I understand why they did it. I would have rather had Memphis for so many reasons, but Houston makes a ton of sense to have that big public university, to have another recruiting point in Houston. That's a program that, you know, I, I kind of like, I don't usually like what Bob Bowlesby says, but I kind of like what he said about Houston and UCF is that those are both schools that can, they can be as good as they decide they want to be. And joining the Power Five should make both of them invest more in football regularly. And so I think those are programs that can perennially be, you know, top 40 programs and often top 30, top 25. And so it makes a lot of sense. Is it going to hurt us recruiting wise? I mean, not, not necessarily. I don't think that's going to be a problem unless TCU continues to string together these types of seasons. That's going to be an issue, but TCU's recruited Houston so well over the years. And even with Dana Holgerson there, I don't think that they've really, we haven't had a whole lot of guys that we really wanted that we've lost to Houston. What we're seeing right now is we're losing those guys to SMU, which is just really embarrassing when you look at SMU's facilities and, you know, being in the AAC. It's just, they've just done such a great job marketing their program and tying it to Dallas. Like, I, I'm envious of the way that Sunny Dykes looks at what college football can be versus the way that Gary Patterson looks at what college football has become. So, yeah, so I, I think I'm, 
as happy as I can be with realignment as it currently stands, knowing there was no path for us to go anywhere else and no blue blood to come in and prop up the conference. I think it's going to be a really fun football conference. I think it's going to be an exceptional basketball conference, which is yeah. not great for TCU, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> and baseball, baseball is going to be a blast too. So I, I think, I think it's fine. I, I don't know what going from $38 million to what I'm going to guess is going to be in the 18 to $22 million year TV deal is going to mean, but I also think by 2025, everything's going to hit the fan again anyways, and that we're looking at two versions of college football, the version that the SEC plays, which is basically a minor league for the pros, and the version that everybody else is playing, which is going to be the version that probably eventually goes away on some level anyways. So I just, I think that we are, there's so much money involved that college football is going to look a lot different 10 yeah. years from now. And, and the, yeah. the ones that are going to get screwed are going to be the fans. Like it, it's just, yeah. they're ripping the sport away from us in a way that is really, really sad to me. Yeah. Yeah, we could do a whole another podcast on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> and and you know what? The kids still aren't going to make any money off of it. Like that, they're yeah, not going to really yeah. make any real money. So that's really going to be the problem too. Mm-hmm. So last thing I wanted to ask you, and you did mention uh, basketball. You know, obviously you're not looking forward to to watching the rest of this football season, but you know, are you yeah. looking forward to to basketball at all? TCU, I think some I a lot of similarities to Kansas State with some, some transfers that maybe there's reason to to hope about and that and then a coach who has been around a while and might be on the hot seat a little bit right yeah i think you know jamie is is an interesting one because tc basketball has been so bad for so long that like do you really put someone on the hot seat that is an established <laughs> coach as an alum that has is really still trying to find his footing as to what it means to be a basketball coach at tcu i mean it's a very different thing than what he created at pitt you know and so i don't think he's necessarily on the hot seat i could just see him like how much longer does he want to do this if he doesn't see a path to winning and you know we fought so hard to keep him from ucla and like i think there was a lot of regret from all sides on that. And it, it, maybe that would have been the best thing for him. But I do think he's all in at TCU. Losing 11 players to the transfer portal, not ideal after the 2020 <laughs> season, not great. But I was having a conversation with somebody in the administrative staff basketball um, in the press box last night, TCU football game. And my argument was, I don't know that we're going to be very good but we're definitely going to be fun to watch. And TCU's last two seasons have been bad and also not very fun to watch, especially last season. When we had Desmond Bain, he's always fun to watch. But the last season was awful. It was it was bad. The, the chemistry was bad in the locker room. There were all kinds of issues with COVID, with not being able to practice. This is a team that feels like they like each other. They have a nice chemistry together. They've had a couple of the super secret scrimmages where they've done some things well. And if nothing else, I can promise you that Micah Peavy and Mike Miles are going to be two, one of the best backcourts in the Big 12. I don't know if that'll translate to wins, but they'll be really, really fun to watch. And Mike Miles is just, I'm just so head over heels for that kid. Absolutely love everything he's about on the court, off the court. He's been such a pleasure to watch him mature. What he did, you know, in, in the June, the Olympics, the U19 or whatever it was this summer, that was really great for him. He's a great leader, a great family. So I, I'm really hopeful that they'll, you know, maybe get to seven, seven big 12 wins. I'd be absolutely ecstatic about. And I hope that Mike gets a lot of the national pub that he deserves. Yeah, I think a lot of us K-State fans feel the same way about Nigel Pack. So hopefully mm-hmm. those two point guards will be tearing up the Big 12 for the next few years. It'll be awesome. 
JT, you think you're going to go back to the basketball this year? I know you understandably made the decision last year that it wasn't worth going into an arena to watch that basketball team play. Yeah, we uh, we went ahead and got season tickets this year, so we're planning on it. Wife and I both are vaccinated. Uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, they release it for the kids so that we can get the boys their stuff. And but you know, we're a lot more comfortable with where they've gotten things at this point around here. K State's done a pretty good job overall. I feel like that you know they they've just done the way they've done things has has been pretty. It's been consistent. It you know. You know, you could always do better, but I think based on the uh, the competing interest of some of the fan base, they've done a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. I, I will say I did not feel great about going to TCU basketball games last year, even once I got vaccinated, except for the fact I never had to worry about anybody else being there. So, like, when you're sitting in a 6,000 <laughs> – but you know, six thousand seat stadium, and you're one of like eighteen people. Like you're not you can shut out. So there was a lot of social distancing. Um, but it, it I, I totally feel that JT because it was like, do I really want to risk going in an indoor facility to watch this team play? Like, right. is it worth it? Um, and I, I did go to a handful of games, but it was every time I was like, I'm taking my life into my hands for this version of TCU basketball. Um, yeah, and it ended yeah, up working was, out with as terrible as K State was last year. Like, yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad we just we skipped out yeah. this year and made a good decision. <laughs> made good decision for sure. All right. Well, hopefully we will at least uh, get an entertaining football game on Saturday. I, I would really goes. love to see uh, Deuce Vaughn Melissa. run for over 100 yards again. So you know, if Melissa's prediction holds true, I yeah. I, I would really love to see that. <laughs> Listen, there is no cure. There is no cure for an ailing running back greater than hit the a gap against the TCU front six. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call. I'm going to say that Deuce is going to get his 100 yards. That Skyler is going to throw for 250 plus. And at the end of the day, I think Kansas State probably wins this game, but I do think that this could end up being like the Kansas State TCU version of a shootout, which is basically <laughs> like one of us gets to 30 and the other hits 28, right? Like that's what, like no, if, yeah. if one of us scored 30 points, we'd feel really confident that we won, I think, against these, with these two <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, thanks a lot, Miss. We always appreciate you coming on. Of course, people can read your stuff at Frogs of War, follow you on Twitter at the Coach Melissa, and um, I don't know anything else you want to plug. Yeah, no, I just I, it's always great to talk to you guys. I know I sound like super Debbie Downer right now with TC football, <laughs> but I know that if anybody understands, it's Kansas State fans because we have, yeah. we have lived this parallel lives over the course of the last several years. So I, I do hope that it's a good game. I don't expect a TCU win, but I don't need a TCU win right now to make me happy. Just an entertaining football game would be really nice. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, JT. Thanks. So, yeah. Bye, Scott.